Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a series of author-hosted podcasts uh, distributing literary content to a worldwide audience. I'm your host, Landis Wade, a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here. Very quickly, before we get to the uninterrupted interview today, a few quick words about some of the benefits uh, for our listeners. Number one, we have show notes uh, for every episode uh, with images, links, and information about our authors at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And number two, if you're into audiobooks, uh, we have a relationship with Libro.fm, which supports indie bookstores. If you sign up with Libro to get your audiobooks and use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER, you'll get an extra audiobook free. Number three, if you go to charlottereaderspodcast.com or my personal website, landisway.com, and you sign up for the book report, you're going to get it every other Tuesday. And here's what you'll get. Recommended readings, author interviews and videos, reading and writing tips, doses of inspiration, a free ebook by yours truly, and more. We won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And finally, we've got a lot of great content that we put out on our exclusive Patreon channel. If you like what we do here, uh, that is our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, and you'd like to help us uh, defray the costs of this project, you can jump over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, and you can tap into all the great extra content we've got that's curated by our authors and me about uh, their writing lives and the craft and business of writing and other things too. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the uninterrupted story of our guest and the one they've written. In today's episode, we visit with Casey Eanes and Seth Irvin, co-authors of the Keys of Candor trilogy, an immersive epic fantasy series in which three strangers bound to one another through destiny must seek out the Keys of Candor to stop the dark phantoms of the past from being unleashed. With complex world building, gripping characters, and genre building action, Keys of Candor is a fantasy series that defies the conventions of the fantasy genre. The popular review blog, WeGeekGirls.com, calls the Red Death first book in the series an incredible start to what she knows will be an exceptional series. Seth, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Landis. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Casey, welcome. Landis, appreciate you having us. Yeah, so I, I'm going to start off, before we dive into the trilogy here, and I'm, I'm really excited about this, uh, I don't. You know, I, I don't get to read all these fantasy novels like uh, I should, but uh, I, I watch this stuff in movies and on TV and that kind of thing. But uh, before we dive into the trilogy, let's talk a, bit, a little bit about the two of you and how you came together for this project. Casey, I understand you're sort of a banker by day and a writer by night. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So during the day, I, I, I like to deal with uh, regulators and bank examiners and, um, <clears throat> you know, come <laughs> making sure that we are complying with with law. So, you know, the creative type things that you would definitely associate with authoring a fantasy series. <laughs> well, I was going to say, that sounds like a scarier 
<laughs> for a fantasy series, which y'all dreamed up here. But uh, yeah, and so uh, Seth, I know you're you know you're connected to Charlotte McMurray Library, and but also in your bio at night, you write as well. So uh, what's this thing? Do y'all write at night? Is that the idea? Well, I, w- I would say you know we we Casey and I were actually talking about this series and how long it took us to write, and it took us a total of seven years to oh, write wow. these three books. And so I'm not writing at night right now, but when I was, when I was, it was definitely, we were writing on the margins of our lives. And so, yeah. yeah. Well, you were, uh, you, you told me before we started here that uh, the two of you were, have been lifelong friends. Uh, Seth, you said you met uh, Casey uh, Eanes in second grade when everybody called him Enos or something like that. That's, that's right. <laughs> uh, that, that's right. The first day. First day it was no, it wasn't in second grade because <laughs> children and children in second grade are still angels. Yeah. Um, but in Too seventh innocent. grade, Too in seventh, <laughs> and, I, and it was it was Mr. White, Jimmy White's math class at East Middle School. Yeah. And I don't know if he was pranking you, Casey, or not, but he goes, he was no calling Mr. The White. No, Mr. Yeah, White. He he was having he was having a good time. Yeah, was, yeah. He, at my expense, but I loved him. He was a great teacher. That's great. Well, look, uh, you know, you you started uh, the fantasy uh, trilogy we're going to talk about today with the uh, with the Red Death, the first in the series, uh, which led to this fantastical you know story. Before we talk about that, though, let's talk about some of the books and movies that influenced this. What made y'all want to do this? Can you share some of that with us? Yeah, I, I guess I'll start us. Um, really, where the whole writing project began uh, for me. Uh, was around the time that my first child was born. <laughs> we were up late throughout the night. Uh, and it was actually around the time that the Hunger Games was all over the place. You'd go in the office, people would have the first book, just the Hunger Games, sitting on their desk. And I remember thinking, what is the Hunger Games? I, you know, I didn't know if it was like a cooking the cooking thing or something. I was like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's some self-help novel. <laughs> you know, it was big at the time. Um, and then when my son was born, I, I read the entire trilogy um, in a matter of five days. And, you know, it was that type of kind of just escapism, easy to read, a new world, um, characters to kind of figure out what's going on. And Seth and I, without boring you with all of our life history, we have a history of looking at different things like forming a band or whatever and being like, hey, it can't be that hard. Let's give it a try. Right. So um, I remember I called him up one night after reading. And I was like, hey, have you read The Hunger Games? Like, yeah. It's like, I'm thinking about writing a book, something kind of like that that's fun to read. And uh, what do you think? And apparently Seth had wanted to write his whole life. And of course, my influences are more of a, you know, growing up watching Star Wars. And uh, you know the the Lord of the Rings series, which Seth's big on, and so I'll let Seth jump in. But yeah, that's kind of where it all birthed from was just doing some light reading. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm an English major. I mean, you know <laughs> what I mean. Like I'm a librarian, so this is a it's not that it's not that big of a a jump for me. Um, Casey said it though, and it really resonated because I, I I I had always wanted to write and tell a story. And, uh, you know, what I like are, are stories that are unexpected and kind of go in ways you wouldn't expect. And I really think Keys of Candor does that, although it, it 
you know, you're laughing about the Hunger Games thinking it's like a cookbook, Casey. Keys of <laughs> Keys of Candor really does sound like a self help book. <laughs> How to be very honest. People. Yeah, you can do it. <laughs> or, or or a guy who drives around a truck who changes locks on the fronts of houses, right? That's right. <laughs> well, you got some good feedback on it. I was looking at some of the reviews. You know, interesting characters, believable backstory that's slowly revealed over time with a few twists along the way. And this one I caught my attention. If Dune had a child, it might very well be the book. Uh, so that's uh, that's pretty good stuff there. But, you know, it's very adventure-filled. And speaking of adventures, I'm guessing it was kind of an adventure uh, and a little bit of suspenseful just for the two of you to take on this project together, right? I mean, uh, listeners, let me just set, set a little uh, foundation here. We're going to actually jump over to our Patreon page after we do this episode and do a deep dive on how these – uh, two writers came together to write a trilogy together, but I want to get sort of the the Reader's Digest version here. Was it an adventure to write this thing together? Yes, <laughs> because let me tell you why. Because I mean, Casey, Casey and I, you know, we we remarkably had very few instances of conflict, but Casey was very much more like, let's tell everybody about it. So one day he just throws the things up on the Facebook page. Like, hey, we're writing a book, and like, here's the cover. And I am not ready. Like, I am not ready. And I'm like, I about lose it. I'm like, dang it, dude. I don't even know if it's good. Like, I... so, yeah. He, he, he was just doing that uh, thing that uh, didn't let you back out. That was the That's idea. That's exactly right, Landis. I could not back out after that. So, yeah, you, you had to keep going. So, uh, all right, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit more later. But let's talk about the, the book cover for a minute. I guess uh, there are two covers. I'm looking at one that's on my thick, thick, thick uh, trilogy book here that uh, has all books combined into one. And it's got a dark cover on the front. It's got some menacing eyes. It's got a key, uh, an old key. Um, and it does have this feel, you know, this Lord of the Ring-ish kind of feel. Um, but something at the top here from Death Comes Life. Uh, speak to the cover for us. Casey, you start. Well, sure. Well, the the cover of the, the full trilogy that you're holding uh, really comes from and stems out of the artwork that actually Seth did the artwork on uh, the entire series. And uh, we've gotten a lot of compliments. People like the faces, the, uh, you know, we wanted to kind of capture the fact that it's, it's character driven. Uh, the whole way we structure the story is rotating around characters. And so uh, it, as opposed to a logo or something really cool, we wanted, we wanted faces, right? Cause we really were trying to lock in, this is a story about characters, and sometimes when we were writing it, we we're like maybe too many characters. But we, uh, you know, we wanted to kind of have it that the uh, that you locked in on these faces, and uh, so that I think that's part of where Seth drew inspiration. But I'll I'll let the artist speak there because uh, he he did all the the heavy heavy lifting on those covers. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I you know, they, artist is too generous of a term. Um, <laughs> It's really just creative positioning of stock photos, but you know, <laughs> uh, it worked out. And I mean, really, the the way that the way technology is, um, we design these book covers on Canva. I mean, mm -hmm. and that's just a, that's yeah. a free anybody can get on there and mess around. But really, you just find striking the right visual tone. I, there, there is a little bit of art to that, and I think Casey's right. We're trying to. Um, the Landis, the one you reference is the full trilogy, which is all three books combined into one volume. And the the From Death Comes Life is a theme that 
keeps rotating throughout the series. And what's interesting about that theme is that it depends on who's saying it, what it means. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it depends, you know, from different characters have different viewpoints on what that means. And so it's, but it's universal in this world of Kandor, which is, I find kind of fascinating. Yeah. Well, listeners, you're going to be able to see the uh, book covers on both uh, the trilogy and the Red Death in the show notes at charlotteriespodcast.com. And uh, you're going to find, uh, if you pick up this trilogy, you're going to see three stories. Uh, book one, The Red Death. Book two, Sea of Souls. Book three, Dominion's End. Did y'all come to these titles uh, right away or did that come over time? I think that the the Red Deaths, that one, it took a while. Um, we, just like Seth said, the first book was be- between three and four years of getting to the final draft. I think we had seven draft versions. The first four, four or five, the first four or five are in the bottom of a, a landfill somewhere. Uh, and so when we finally, uh, I, I mean, we were like the Book of Red, the Book of This, what, what about this title? Uh, and there was... Uh, kind of an idea that's in, in the book and um says like what about the red deaths and uh, it just kind of stuck uh sea of souls was immediate that book uh that book wrote itself the title it gave itself a title and then dominion's den w- was kind of looped back around we really wanted to kind of land it and say where you know what title reflects what's going on in this book um, so it was kind of interesting. Each title was unique in how easy it was to come to the, the final, final title. Yeah. And there are a lot of good fights in these books, right? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other good thing about this is that I'm looking in the front of the trilogy, but, uh, I'm going to talk about setting just a second. We're in the, uh, I don't know if it's the kingdom or the land of Candor, and you've got a map in the front there. Um, did y'all kind of sit down one night with, a adult beverage and, and kind of write out this, <laughs> this map here. You know, I, I, we, we wrote the lands first and we wrote the history. I think Casey, like we had a conversation about, well, who are the people that live here and what are the countries that are here? Our trilogy is on a, a like a supercontinent, one big Island. And there's, there's countries in beneath it or in, you know, all around it. So I think we talked about it first and then I just started, you know, drawing with a map and boom, there you go. Yeah. Well, let's give the readers before we have a little reading here, which we do on the podcast, a little flavor for this, uh, this series here. You, you've got this continent of Candor. Uh, it's haunted by the violent echoes of an ancient bloody past. And it starts out with uh, one of the characters being trained by his father to fight and join this uh, group that's going to, I don't know, fight for the kingdom and do all these things. But thousands of years ago, darkness overtook the land, unleashed a torrent of chaos and death. And there's something called the predecessors or something who are long lost. <laughs> and now, the, how about giving us a little flavor without giving much away? Uh, maybe we'll start sure. start with, uh, I don't know, this. Uh, we'll start with Seth this time and then Casey, you can jump in next. Yeah, you know, here in pandemic times, uh, saying that a book is post-dystopia, yeah. You know, is a little bit, you know, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if that means anything anymore. Um, but our, our our book really takes place after something really bad happened um, on, on this planet. And uh, it's, you know, the stories of what happened to the people that came before, which are the predecessors, are very much myth to the people who are living in today's 
this setting of the book. So there's a lot of myth and mystery. And uh, we kind of tie that in uh, to the theology, cosmology of this place. So there, there's, there are gods that are referenced that are tied into that history and what happened. Um, in the more recent past, like 100 years ago, there was a huge world war in Kandor, and there was a whole, co- there was a whole country um, that is pretty much a barren desert. And it used to be the center seat of power. Mm-hmm. And there was just a lot, a lot of violence. And so if you can imagine waking up and you're in a dark age and you know there was a Roman Empire, but you're not sure how it fell into ruin, that's kind of how Candor is. And, you know, I think a lot of readers, some readers have been jarred by kind of the things we've put in the book. Like there's a range of technologies. Mm -hmm. We've got everything from um, trains to hovercrafts and like, we don't hide that. We don't no. hide that. Like it's in the first chapter and there, you know, we, in our first couple of reviews, we're like, I can't believe you're doing this. But if you think about it, that's, that's really how the world is. Like there are parts of the world that have a lot more technology and a lot more access than others. And um, you know, some of that's just lazy writing. I don't want to describe a, a long, long journey. I'd rather have them ride a train, that's um, interesting. but yeah. But, you know, I mean, it, it really works for us. And I, th- and I think it makes sense. And kind of going back, Landis, to your original question, like all this technology and all the advancements, these are just the things that this world has found that was built by the predecessors. Mm-hmm. So all, all the technology is ancient. And picking up on that, I'm going to ask Casey, uh, I know that there's a, the legends tell of a hero, the keeper of the keys and a figure who would rise up at some point uh, to help bind away the darkness once and for all. And you got these three strangers that come together to tell us a little bit about that part of the story. Sure. Well, as, as Seth mentioned, we kind of wrote in a, a mythos or a theology into this book. So, uh, you know, first time writing a trilogy and not only do we try to create a world, we try to create a religious system as well. I mean, we were swinging for the fence here. We really wanted to go big. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, but the uh, as he said, uh, when he was talking about the world, there there are a lot of things that are kind of almost myth. Right. And so we, we were looking at that and saying, OK, if, if there had been kind of a world religion or an event that maybe changed how people thought about things again, as he mentioned, from death comes life, uh, everyone has different thoughts. And, and part of that is there's almost prophecies that have come about. Uh, referencing a keeper of the keys. And one of the neat things that Seth talked about, depending on your point of view, uh, and that's part of how we wrote this book, is we we didn't want you to know necessarily who's good, who's bad. And we wanted to show sometimes the bad guys think that they're doing the right thing. Uh, and so with with writing the book, there everyone, not everyone, but the people who are still in touch with the old world they know of this prophecy. And so you have several characters who are uh, very tuned into that prophecy, others who really don't care. Um, and uh, we have three primary characters who wind up being twisted up into that prophecy. And uh, and that's the whole story is figuring out where you land and who is who. Uh, and it's not always what you expect. I think J.K. Rowling uh, worked a little prophecy into the Harry Potter books, didn't she? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and on that note, I mean, there are literal keys and they yes. they they do immense things. Um, right. 
That's good. All right. Well, this is a part of the show, part of the brand of Charlotte's podcast where we have authors give voice to the written words. Seth, you're going to read a little part from the book. Can you set it up first before you read it? Tell us where we are, you know, what book, who, who's in the scene and that kind of thing. Sure. Um, we're um, going to pull from the Red Deaths. Um, this is one of the beginning chapters and it's uh, Will and Kara, who is our incredible anti-hero. Wouldn't you say, Casey? She is our femme fatale. She yeah. uh, kicks butt and takes names. Uh, yes. And One of my she, favorite characters. <laughs> she, and she's, um, she is actually chasing, trying to hunt down one of our other main characters, father, which is a really, it's a pivotal. The first book is really a chase after this one character named Griff Shepard and everyone's after him. And so he's just kind of on the run. He's like the fugitive that we never really visit in the book. He's just always running. Um, so anyway, uh, this is, this is Willen and she is chasing Griff. Willen arrived at the opening of Tunnel 1 AAE, the primary entrance for all of Rudenhall's underground rail cars. She sat at the engine of her rook. She, she sat as the engine of her rook hummed around her. She stared into the darkness before her, wishing that Griff would simply step out of the shadows to surrender and end this pointless game. The smell of damp moisture and stale air wafted out of the large entrance, causing her to scowl. God's above, what a day, she thought to herself. Her militia stood ready at the entrance when she arrived, at attention, waiting on her command. Leave your rifles outside. If you fire live ammunition into the tunnel, you risk ricocheting and killing yourselves. Just take in your shock rods, your taze nets, or pulse rifles. Make no mistake, I won't grift alive. The platoon obeyed without a word, dropping their rifles and pulling out the smaller weaponry and nets from their ruck, ruck packs. Willem pulled out her jave and led the party into the darkness. Lights on, soldiers. Willem flipped a switch on her battle armor and a shoulder-mounted light fired to life, sending its beams bouncing down the deep channel ahead of the party. The pinpricks of light seemed to get swallowed in a sea of black that flooded the tunnel. A single line of rail ran through the middle of the underpass, and there was a clearance of 10 feet on each side of the enclosure. With each step, Willen could feel the low, barely audible echo of her movement hum within the concrete cavern, echoing deep into the depths. In silence, she split one half of the detail to stay on the left of the tracks, while the remaining party came up on the right. The wall of men followed her, dutifully marching for further into the darkness, stopping at regular intervals to listen and look for any signs of grift. The only movement within the tunnel was the slow gust of horrid wind wafting over them, bringing foul odors of mildew and rot up from the sub subterranean labyrinth. Willen could not contain her disgust. Gods, what is that? It smelled foul, like something died. And with each step, the stench grew in grew in its strength and presence. She had smelled death in all its forms, but something about this was uncanny. It made her uneasy. The militia marched on through the darkness, ignoring the sound of the dripping water and the low moans of rotting wind blowing through the tunnel. Even though she was flamed by 30 soldiers, she could not shake the feeling of, of being alone, her focus and determination preparing her for her next inevitable confrontation with Griff. The group had pushed more than a mile into the tunnel system with no solid leads. After an hour of marching, they found nothing, and Willem began, began to worry. The hair on the back of her neck stood up, and her blood hammered through her veins. 
On the battlefield, she had long learned to trust her intuition. She had a palpable sense that something was wrong. There was another waft of air, but it was ice cold and reeked of putrefied flesh. This air is not coming from the other end of the tunnel. Willem bounced ideas through her mind, calculating the origin of the odor as she worked not to show any visible signs of distress towards the men. Steady soldier, she whispered. She could feel them, their nervousness, their anxiety. It all left it it uh, it all let off an invisible energy within the darkness. Thoughts blasted through her mind like red hot rockets slicing through the night night sky. They were terrible and impossible to ignore. Grift was not in the tunnel, and she concluded that her initial assumptions about his strategy were off. His guise worked, and now Willem was nowhere near her target. None of that mattered because her mistake had landed her into a trap, his trap. She quickly realized that soon they would have to either fight or run. Her mind tried to prepare itself, but the answer came up short. Fight what, Willen? A strong gust of wind pushed in from the group's right side, an opening, a vast chasm that had been dug out from the side of the tunnel. Willen signaled for her men to focus their lights on the void with a flick of her wrist. The cold light fell into the tunnel. In the distance, a man stood alone in the dark. Willen's heart jumped at the sight. She had not expected this. The man showed only his profile towards the party and was slumped over, failing to acknowledge either Willen or the other soldiers. It was as if they were invisible to him. He was old and very unkempt, and his chest pulsed in quick, shallow breaths as he stood slowly, rolling one visible eye toward them, unblinking in the harsh light. He did not bother to move his body to, to turn and face them. Though he was too far away for Willen to distinguish any telling facial features, it was apparent that something was wrong with him. You there, what are you doing down in the, in the tunnels? Trespassing is forbid, forbidden, even for the homeless. Have, have you seen anyone else come through here? There was no response. The man just stood there like a pillar in the dark, completely unaware of the malicious pre presence, comatose. Willen took a cautious step forward. There is something wrong with this. There's something very wrong with this. The thought just kept banging in her mind as all her instincts told her to stay back, but curiosity overtook her fear as she inched forward. She moved within three feet of the man as he stood wheezing for breath. She tried to ignore how much her hands were shaking as she clutched her, her, her razor jade. She was steadied only by the thought that at any moment she could easily decapitate the man should he pose any danger. The squadron behind her trained their pulse rivals on the stranger as he stood like an old rotting statue. She took another step. Another. Another. In a flash, the man turned to face her and Willen's mouth, mouth fell open. His face was completely mutilated, carved away from the skull, rotting flesh dangling in the foul, dark air. What was left of his jaw was unhinged, dangling like a rag doll. A guttural, screeching snarl rolled out of his ragged maw as his milky eyes stared back at her. The one scenario Willen hoped would not come true was horribly confirmed. They had disturbed a moral hive. Run! Fall back! The need for stealth was over. When you disturbed one moral, you disturbed them all. Willen screamed as she plunged the jave deep into the fiend's chest. It staggered and bellowed while furiously clawing at the jave shaft. Morals! Get out, she screamed. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to sleep well tonight, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, so there's zombies too. 
but we don't yeah. call them that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could be the same thing, but you just don't call them that. That's yeah, good. we just don't call them that. I think we refer to them as zombish creatures. So, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 the shambling, the shambling, the shambling. Well, not in the book when we we're oh, talking okay. to people. Yeah, we have some zombish type stuff. They're zombish. They're not. Yeah, yeah. So, so you got uh, you know the inciting incident here is you've got a king uh, early in the first book and he dies, I guess, and the. There's been a war that's been going on, and and that death somehow affects these characters in different ways. You want to speak to that briefly, and then we're going to do a little writing life discussion before we wrap it up. Sure. Yeah. So the kind of the inciting incident uh, is there's a king, King Camden, uh, who who dies, and <clears throat> as we see today uh, in current day, when something goes wrong, many times we want to point blame at the big bad bad guys, uh, you know, even if it's natural causes, it's someone else's fault, right? And so uh, there is kind of this inciting incident where Camden is dead, and certain people think that it is because of Will and Cara's people, the people of Rutenhall, uh, and uh, and the Grogan lands. It's kind of their country, you will, or region. Uh, and then the, uh, the, the Grogans think, well, the, you know, if it did happen, uh, you kind of deserved it because our king is in a comatose state. He's on the edge of death, and that is actually Will and Cara's older brother. So, um, so with that, so there's there's this kind of potential underlying espionage that's going on, and you have the leaders of these countries trying to flesh it out and figure out who's responsible. And uh, Will and Cara's a little bit more iron fisted, and she uh, she is very direct in trying to to get to who she thinks uh, caused. Her her brothers down. Um, yeah, and those uh, and those are the red deaths. Landis are yes. are these kings, these leaders of these realms, slowly being picked off by some mysterious forces. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like Game of Thrones. <laughs> with, <laughs> with you know, it, it uh, they they could have used your that screen. What what there was a scene I think in one of those uh, called the Red Wedding or something where they had the, yeah yeah. yeah. Well, unlike Game of Thrones, our trilogy is complete. That's all I got to say. Um, just, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw that out there. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Well, uh, let's do this in a few minutes we have left uh, on the podcast here. Um, a little bit about the writing life. We're going to do a deeper dive, of course, on Patreon listeners. But, uh, you know, y'all wrote together. Um, I guess my one of my questions is, what was the most challenging thing uh, uh, from each of your perspectives that uh, – in, in doing this project, uh, it's, it took, as you said, years to put together and you got to develop an arc in each story. You got to develop overall arc. You got to, so what, just pick one challenge each that you thought was the greatest for each of you. Mm. I think for me, if I think back on it, um, the, the plotting was the most, you know, you kind of have, you maybe heard authors talk about pantsing versus plotting. Mm-hmm. And try when we first jumped into this series, we were pantsing it. Uh, we were flying by the seat of our pants. Um, and what we found is we didn't necessarily need an entire plot line, but we needed, you know, a backbone. And we we would add meat onto that and add to that skeleton. And I think that that initial act of figuring out the arc and where we wanted the story to start and where we wanted it to end was the hardest part. But once we had that, uh, especially the first two books, it really took off. 
it really took off. But it was a challenge, uh, especially being that this was our first uh, venture into writing. And here we are, we were creating this huge world. Um, just that plotting, I think, was, I, I think, for me, the biggest challenge. I would say, too, I mean, in the very almost like the proto days before we were even writing, I think trying to figure out, we knew the scale of the story we wanted to tell. And honestly, we did it the only way too stupid, inexperienced people would ever do it. We were like, we're just going to do it. Um, But like having to, to frame up a story that is pretty complex, like it took us a while to even find an equivalent that, that would like help us understand how you could do it. Um, and so like early in our kind of writing adventure, we found um, uh, Sanderson and uh, what, what was the book, Casey? What? Elantris. It was Elantris. Yes. So it was Brian Sanderson. Yeah. Is it Brian? High fantasy. Yeah. High fantasy. But Brandon Sanderson. Brandon, not Brian. Yeah. Goodness yeah. gracious. What a terrible librarian. Um, <laughs> is Brandon Sanderson's first book, Elantris. And we saw that in Elantris, he took three characters and each chapter was from their perspective. And so that was immensely helpful for me because then I could say, okay, well, I kind of thought of it as a film. You just pop the camera on one character here and then, well, what happens next? We pop it on the second character, then the third character. And, um, but, but getting there is not intuitive and it's, it's really about being exposed to other people in the, in the space. And so, that was the hardest thing for me, I think, was finding the framework in which to do the work. <laughs> so as we get ready to say goodbye to this episode, I want to ask this question. How did y'all feel when you finished this thing and uh, you put it to bed, you've got a trilogy, and now the story's done? It, it was a sense of, there was definitely a sense of satisfaction. Um, but at the same time, there was also curiosity because when you create an entire world, um, you're looking at a very, very small window of time and a very small, though significant, series of events. And you begin wondering about some of those secondary characters that you fall in love with. Uh, we had a high monk that both of us really liked, um, who you would think a monk maybe doesn't have that interesting of a backstory. But uh, Seth and I talked a lot about his life that is not in the pages. Uh, of of this series, so yeah, a lot a big sense of accomplishment, being that it was the first time we'd ever really written, and that we actually brought the trilogy home. Uh, but at the same time, it was sad too because I, I knew that my brain had poured out as much as it could for seven years, as Seth said, and I knew that it was going to be a while before I came back to Candor, before my mind would kind of let me step back into that world. So. A little bit of sadness because I knew it'd be a little bit before I saw my characters again. Yeah, it's a great question, Landis. It's honestly, it's it's emotional to think that we haven't been in Candor for a year because <laughs> um, we finished up in 2019, and um, uh, yeah, we spent a lot of our time in that in that place. And you know, I think huge amount of accomplishment. It feels good to write that thing and be done and finish it, like even just to finish the, the, the damn thing. I mean, honestly, it's just, it, we, we had so much in the air. It was like, how do we land the plane? And so I'm really glad we landed the plane, but um, yeah, it's, it is, it is, you know, you, you, you pour so much in and, you know, we, we've done okay. We're 
not we're not we're not bankrolling here, right? Um, but we really do want people to read the book and and have that same experience and maybe some sort of parallel feeling. As much as we enjoyed writing it, we hope people will enjoy reading it. So. Yeah, well, that's great. It was exciting. I mean, I, I enjoy getting into it, and uh, but I had to reinforce my bookshelf to put this thing on it. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know, you, you're they're definitely going to get their money's worth. You're going to take them for for this, uh, you know, epic uh, ep- epic journey here. So, uh, well, look, uh, listeners, we're going to jump over in just a second. Uh, you can check us out at uh, Patreon. That's p a t r e o n dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. It's what we do for you who support us on the podcast here, and uh, we bring you some exclusive content. We're going to be talking about how two two guys can come together to write a trilogy, and I'm going to ask them a bunch of questions about how that works and how writing with another author works. So jump on over there. It's there. You can check it out. Uh, hey, uh, Casey, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, and Seth, thank you for uh, being a part of the podcast as well. Thank you, Landis. Thanks for having us. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.